You are listening to PD in Pajamas, the only podcast where you can get professional development credit in your underwear. Our mission is to provide teachers with quality professional development on the go. Learn from real teachers and experts on topics that you care about. Listen anytime, anywhere. Enjoy season one, classroom management. All right. Is this your first podcast that you've been on and everything? Yep, it sure is. Well, cool. So do you, uh, first of all, I'm really glad that you're doing this. I think this is a great thing. I, I kind of thought about it and I was like, man, I wish there was something out there that I liked in the podcast world as a teacher. And uh, there just wasn't anything. I found a lot of really, really, really long stuff I didn't really enjoy. It wasn't very entertaining. And I found a lot of really cheesy stuff that was really... I didn't enjoy that either. So hopefully this is somewhere to balance where we can get to like know other teachers in the community and also, you know, have some fun and tell people and teachers what it's really like. So uh, can you tell us a little bit to like uh, your background, like where'd you go to school and everything? Yeah, I went to college at Boise State and I majored in communication secondary ed and I got a minor in English as well. So I'm currently uh, 6 through 12 certified to teach communication and English courses um, in the state. So after college, I got a job in Pocatell, Idaho. So I have been here for the past six, six years um, since 2014. And I just finished my sixth year teaching high school. Um, so currently, normally I teach general speech courses, so the general course you need to graduate, as well as speech and debate courses. Um, I also coach, am the head coach of a speech and debate team. So I have that in addition to my regular teaching duties. Um, Sometimes I've taught English as well, but my passion is for public speaking courses. Uh, For the next school year, I'm actually moving and going to be teaching and coaching at Mountain Home High School, uh, teaching and coaching the same stuff. So let's talk about Boise State a little bit. Um, you were on the speech and debate team there? That is correct. And uh, so is there anything that you learned from being in like a collegiate speech and debate program that you can apply, like that helped you in the classroom? Or was it just something that you really enjoyed doing while you're at school? Um, I think being on the team helped me to see how a different type of team functions, um, aside from the team I was a part of in high school. So I think being exposed to more team dynamics and different how teams different teams work has been helpful to me because not every team is the same and not every coach is the same and getting exposure to different coaches and how they coach and teach different subjects has really helped me to get a broader view of my content area and coaching specifically. In your classes, did you, did you remember a class about classroom management or things like that? Uh, no, I never had a classroom management class. Um, I honestly don't remember my education courses at Boise State very much because they didn't weren't really impactful to me. Um, the education course I remember the most is my ed literacy course, but that was more focused on teaching English, and that's not really my specialty. I don't really teach English very much. Um, 
And I also remember a special education class I, I took and that helped me a little bit to know the different acronyms and a little bit about special ed. Uh, but I knew nothing about classroom management or really teaching as a whole until I got into the classroom. See, and, and I feel pretty similar. You know, I don't, I don't remember a lot of classroom management courses or anything like that. But isn't it interesting? Like, how much of your day do you think is impacted by classroom management? It's a big portion of what we do because, like, if you don't have good classroom management, then you spend more time redirecting behaviors instead of teaching content or, like, helping students one-on-one. And so I'm not – I think if you can set up good relations and classroom management at the beginning of your course – then it's easier from day to day. But if you don't have that, then it's just a day-to-day struggle. This is really a benefit to those new teachers because there was no course for me. I didn't I didn't have one. Universities don't have, here's how to manage the classroom. When I did my block teaching, we went into these really high-functioning classrooms and they were um, experienced teacher and the kids were prepped and they let you try out some of these things and there was always well managed. And then you get into the classroom and you say, well, this is not what I experienced at the university level. And so I, I think uh, back to my, my day teaching and I just kind of wonder, do you ever recall or do you remember what that moment was like when you first got into a classroom and did you feel like you had any control or what, how, how are you? Well, in my student teaching, I didn't really have much say. My mentor teacher made me kind of follow what she wanted to do and uh, was pretty controlling on what I was allowed to do and the flexibility I was allowed to take. So I didn't really learn anything from that. So I don't really consider that as like my first step in a classroom because it wasn't really helpful at all to me. Um, and so the summer before I started teaching, I took a, a champs course. So it was kind of like a classroom management course. Um, but, and so I thought that prepared me, but then when I walked in the classroom the first day, it didn't, it didn't at all. Like, it just so what, 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 what was the champs course? Can you explain that a little more? What that yeah, is? So it was an online course, uh, through our school district and all new now all new teachers have to take it, but then it was optional. Um, and it was a professional development course. So I figured might as well get some credits and they talk about, you had to learn about different classroom management techniques and like seating arrangements and how to control students in your classroom and those types of things. Going back to that first day, what was it like? So a lot of the stuff I had learned in that course, cause that's the only time I had, even had any sort of instruction for profession or for classroom management. Um, I just realized it wasn't going to work in high school. Like they would talk about use a, a doorbell or a desk bell to gain their attention or flicker the lights and everything so far that I had known about classroom management just seemed so elementary. And it seemed like high schoolers would think it was silly. And as a 22 year old teacher starting out, the benefit I had was I wasn't in high school like a long time prior. Like it was only four years. So I kind of had an idea of how the students thought. 
like, they're going to think I'm ridiculous if I try to do any of this stuff. And so I tried to just figure it out as I went. Uh, I know I just, I tried to take advice people had given me and implement it. Um, and so I started out being really firm because, you know, you don't, you don't smile till Christmas or whatever. And I tried to gain their like respect in a way that was just like, I tried to be firm because I wanted to stand apart from these 18 year old, maybe students that were only four years younger than me. So it was definitely an adjustment. Um, but I don't, I don't know if there's a ton that we can teach new teachers besides like giving them tips for classroom management, because it really does depend on who you are as a teacher and what your student makeup is because your general freshmen are going to be different than your honor students. And they're going to be different than juniors or seniors and like all your classes are different. So I know every time I have a different class, I have to readjust how I manage them because they're different. Explain a little bit about if you felt prepared, if you felt like it was out of control when you were um, teaching that first, and it doesn't have to be your first like moment teaching, but that within that first year, were there like moments that you felt ill-prepared and was classroom management something that took away from what you thought you'd enjoy about the profession? I definitely think I was ill-prepared. I think everyone probably is going into teaching. Um, I just wish I would have had professors or people that like tried to paint a clear picture about what it looks like on a day-to-day basis. I just never had that. And so, yeah, I think I was super unprepared my first year. I tried to be as prepared as I could. I, I knew my content, which I think we hear about a lot with new teachers. Like they know their content, but they don't know all the other stuff. And so I found that like, I would give a lot of content, like too much um, for who they were, the freshmen or sophomores or juniors. Um, yeah, I just learned on the spot. In addition to like figuring out teaching, I was also trying to like figure out coaching uh, and take over students who had a totally different coach than who I was. They were coached different ways and they were, so they were taught differently and they were used to their classroom being almost completely opposite than it was with me. And they just weren't, most of them weren't kind. And so I think that whole year was just a big struggle for me and just like in the classroom and outside of the classroom and in coaching. So I don't remember a lot of it because that year was just really tough. Um, And I didn't really have anyone to talk to about it either. I had a mentor assigned to me at the school, but she was so busy with all of the extracurriculars she did and her honors classes that she didn't really have the time to help me. And so I didn't really have anyone. So I I kind of, I think, blocked out that first year just because it was so tough. But like every year after that has gotten better and better and better until I finally feel like I have it under control and like I can figure things out pretty well. Do you feel like teachers now feel pretty isolated or they are on like a silo, especially new teachers? Like how I think you it, it probably depends. So I think something that hurt me was I, I taught speech and coached debate. And so like none of the other teachers really did that. There were some speech teachers 
oh, I taught English that first year too. But like, we just didn't connect because they loved English and only wanted to talk about this English stuff. And I had a whole other set of things I needed to talk about and learn about as well. It also didn't help that my classroom was secluded. So like all the rest of the teachers were down the hall and then there was like a cross section and I was on the other side of that. So like physically my classroom was separated from them. Um, and we just didn't have the same background. So I think other teachers that like fit really nicely in the mold of a department might have a different, like different time because they have more to like relate to. But as a, a teacher who teaches specialized classes that there's usually one of in the school, it, it definitely was isolating. And it also then made it so it was hard for me to make friends with my peers, my colleagues, because we just didn't have the same connections and they didn't understand what I did and they didn't really like feel a need to learn about it or anything like that. As elective teacher as well, I feel like there's a lot of silo-ish, like, oh, I'm on an island and no one knows me or I have no one to work with. And I think with this podcast world and everything we're in, hopefully we can help bring people together and that they don't feel so much like they're on an island anymore uh, and they have other resources. The more that teachers are become like closer to my age, I'm starting, like we're starting to share ideas more. Like there, when I started, there was a lot of really old, older debate coaches. And so like, they're not going to be on Facebook or sh using the same tools I'm using in the classroom. And now a lot of the coaches and teachers that teach my same subjects are all my same age. And so like, we're making Facebook groups to collaborate and like, like having way more collaboration using Google Docs than we would have had with people that don't use the same technology than us. Something I really like is Marzano and his his uh, strategies on classroom management. They've helped me a lot. And there's a couple ideas I want to run by uh, that to see if they apply in your life. And one that I think is so interesting in the way he puts it, and he says appropriate levels of dominance. And, he's, and he defines it as dominance as the teacher's ability to provide clear purpose and strong guidance regarding both academics and student behavior. So in your years of teaching, have you seen uh, appropriate levels of dominance? Have you used it? Maybe not called it that, but you see any kind of application of that in the real life? Yeah, they, so I think it's, from what I'm getting, it's, it's talking about like telling the students where they're going and why we're learning this stuff. Is that accurate? Because yeah. I feel like if, if the students don't know why we're discussing something or why I want them to act in a certain way, then they're not going to buy in because they're like, why are you telling me this stuff? It doesn't matter to me. I don't care about it. So I feel like definitely talking to students about why we're learning something or showing them that you care, those types of things can really help a student to buy into what you're doing in your classroom and giving them just like something to try. When I first hear that, I think maybe is it yelling at kids? Um, or have you ever met like a yeller or something, maybe an inter what, what would you say is an inappropriate level of dominance? So I think a lot of teachers, um, think that if students aren't doing something, how you'd imagine them to do it or exactly how they want you to do it, then you're doing it wrong and they need to be redirected to do it the right way. Um, you hear it when, when teachers talk ab about, 
like if, if a teacher takes over for your class for like a day or a half of a class period, they're like, yeah, they were really quiet. And I really hate that because being quiet doesn't mean that they're bought into what you're doing. It doesn't mean they're learning. It doesn't mean that they're showing you, you respect. It just means they're literally being quiet. Um, and so like, but that, that took me a while to figure out, like some classes are loud classes and some classes are quiet classes and they can have get the exact same amount of stuff done and learning done, but you have to figure out who they are. And a lot of, I feel like there's teachers that don't get that. They just, they think this way is the right way and everything else is wrong. Um, and so I think that's probably a incorrect form of dominance. A lot of what you said could be created by the administration because I can see administrators going in and saying, well, this class is loud. They're talking. I want to make sure that they are quiet so I can check the, the box that they have good classroom management. Do you, do you, have you experienced that or is that something you maybe you've heard of? Luckily I haven't. Usually our administrators are understanding and the administrators I've had don't really stay in the classroom very much. They come in for two observations for like 15 minutes each, maybe. Um, and usually they'll ask questions if they have them. Um, I've had two different evaluators as our administration. And one of them is quiet and just sits there and observes. And the other one talks to me and finds out why I'm doing what I'm doing. And, and often will try it as well. Um, and that helps me to feel like, they give me more flexibility as a teacher and are willing to learn what I'm doing to figure out if it's working or not. So one day I was teaching memorization techniques and um, we had, I gave my administrator the same thing we were memorizing and he learned the same tips and he tried to present it in front of the class, just like everyone else was. So it really helped me to see like that he did care, but I totally see that if an administrator thinks that a quiet classroom is a good classroom, then that's what they would want. And I know a, lot, a quiet classroom is usually not a good classroom because unless they're doing individual work, then they're usually not learning or they're on their phones or they're listening to music or they're Snapchatting. <laughs> not to get too much into phones, but do you think that the phones cause a lot of the classroom management issues that teachers are experiencing? Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think they're helpful, but I think they are more hurtful. Uh, I tried to regulate phones, um, but it just didn't work. My school doesn't have a really strong policy about it. Um, and it usually led to harming the relationships with the students more than it was worth. So I think that holding to the standards of your classroom is important, but I I know that if you don't have a good relationship with a student, then they're not going to want to buy in or, or learn at all. And a student will be like, if you show belligerence towards a student or you take their phone one time or you're rude to them, it could lead to them just being like, fine, I'm going to fail. I don't care. I hate your class. I'm not going to pay attention. Like, and so you have to really balance what, what's worth it to a point. Um, and most of the time, taking the phones isn't worth it. Um, I just have to say, okay, they're not going to learn the material and they're not going to pass the assignment or they might not pass the test or they might not pass the class. 
And you have to let them have ownership in that because it's just too hard to regulate the phones while still maintaining a positive relationship in the classroom, which I think is the most important in order to get students to want to learn. What kind of policy would be helpful to maintain, like cell phone policy, would be helpful to maintain good relationships with your students? I know schools, I know schools have like no cell phone policies and they make them like check them in somewhere or something. Um, and that could work, but when the admins just like don't let kids play on their phones, then you have each teacher trying to come up with a different system and we're not collaborating and figuring out what works as a whole. I just don't think there's a way. And there's also like the pushback from parents how parents don't want you to take kids' phones or them not have a hold of it because what if they need to contact their kid? Which, when I was in school, like they called the school and sent a note for me. But I feel like there's a lot of parents that want their kids to have their phones at all times. And so they can't like put it in a cubby or something. Um, and if we physically take the phone, then we can be liable for it. And so there's just a lot of like, what do you do? And so they're like thousand dollars. And so I wouldn't want to have a teacher have to replace a phone um, and have that whole battle because I've seen it where the school has lost and has to pay for the phone for the, the family. Yeah. Uh, it does bring me to what I think is most important. I think as educators, we all agree that relationships are the most fundamental uh, aspect of classroom management. Uh, I think that means a lot for different people. So how would you define the impact of relationships uh, as it relates to uh, uh, classroom management? I think it's really important. I think I've said that before. I think that when you can build a functioning relationship, then students will trust what you have to say more or they'll buy into what, you, what you're teaching or, or to an activity that you want them to try. And I don't mean like being on a friendship level because I've seen teachers do that and then they lose way more control, but you don't want to be, you want to like find a nice place in the middle, like between being a friend and being like so, so harsh and stern and everyone hates you because if you can find the middle where you're, you have standards and, and you get work done, but the students feel comfortable talking to you when they have a question or when they don't understand something or sometimes feeling like they can do a small joke with you. Like, I feel like that is really the nice middle ground because then they'll listen to me when I'm like, I'll laugh or answer to their joke. And then I say, okay, get back to work and they will. And so it's like figuring out that middle ground, but I think it's important to try to get there. I don't know if it's like dinging of the bell or some of the things you talked about before, are more important or relationships, right? Building rapport with students to say, hey guys, I need you to focus on this and have them do it rather than some sort of like, all right, ding, Pablo's law. Uh, and how do we build that rapport with kids so that we can use like, hey, I just need you to be on task and they do it. Cause that's, mm -hmm. that you have to do things to get that. It doesn't come for free. Yeah, I thinking back at it, by the end of my first week teaching, like my first year, I was already into like pretty, I was pretty far into content already. And I wish that I would have spent more time getting to know the students and having them work with each other and work with me. 
So in my speech classes now, usually we'll do like a get to know you game in conjunction with speech. So like sometimes we'll do get to know you bingo and they have to like find somebody that they have a shared experience with. They have to share those experiences. So they're talking to one another, communicating, and then afterwards they share some of those with the class. So they are doing speaking, they're speaking, but they're getting to know each other and they can come talk to me and find out more about me. And then like this last term, we then did a, like a one pager poster assignment where they put information about themselves and to like have certain amount of quotes and pictures and stuff. And I did one too. So I was showing them and I was opening up about my life. And that first week of class, I'm like way more open than I'm like comfortable being. I'm like, oh yeah, my dog. Let me talk to you about my dog and my family because I think it's important to try to build those relationships. And after that, then they're like, it's easier to transition into your content than just like starting right away and only caring about like what you have to say content-wise. Anything else that that's maybe unusual you use to get to know the kids? Uh, so in in my debate classes or like... With my varsity debaters, I always start our term because we've already started our season. We start at the beginning of the year, but I only have them second trimester. So we're on a trimester system. So we know each other. Um, but just knowing the teacher is one thing, but knowing each other in the class can lead to how well the class functions. As, um, and so I'll often start with a round table or a, like a restorative circle kind of. And we'll just share concerns. We'll talk about where they have been in the past and where they want to go. And it's a whole class discussion. So it's not like I'm leading it. It's like, we're all in this together. We're all one class and we want to function and work well together and we're one team. So I really like to start my varsity classes that way so that it's not just me teaching them because that's not how I run my debate program. It's mostly them teaching each other. And so I try to build that right from the start in that class as well. Is it harder to manage a classroom of the debate kids where you, you know them really well or just like a general communications or speech class? Which one's uh, more difficult? So my debate classes are louder and usually more chaotic, but I know they're getting work done most of the time. Uh, my speech classes uh, are tough because they're a one trimester or a one semester class. So I'm getting new kids every 12 weeks. And so I have to start the process over and over again. And it's really hard. So like an English teacher might have the same kids for two terms or might have them random terms all throughout high school. And I don't have that in speech, literally brand new kids every term. So I have to start fresh and start new. And it's like usually by I don't know week nine, I have a feel of who they are and then they're gone in three weeks. And so it, trimesters are really hard for classroom management, but yeah, I, I just have to start new every time. And I, I definitely think that those one trimester classes are a lot harder because I'm just always trying to figure them out. Are talking with your former self, your first year, and you sit down with her for a cup of coffee. And what do you say to her? It's going to be okay. Uh, I wanted to quit during student teaching People wanted me to quit my first year. There was just so much new stuff. And and I would just say, it's going to be okay. Try to find a friend in the building. Um, 
so that you have somebody to vent to or share ideas or, or run things by, um, I would say that next year will be better. Do you have like a really cool tip or trick that someone has taught you along the way that would help uh, those teachers that maybe they could try today in their class or when they get back to school? Yeah. So I don't think they're cool, but I think they work. Um, I think that seating charts are the best. Like I almost always use a seating chart. And at first it seems like, oh, but you're restricting the kids' creativity or like what, what if they work better with these people? But I always do a seating chart and I will change it really often. So I don't keep it on a schedule. So in my speech class, usually I'll take a few days, figure them out and then make a seating chart. And sometimes I'll change it weekly or like two days later because I'm just trying to figure out who works well by each other, who is not going to talk to their friends all class. And that really can help to structure your classroom. And kids are used to it. Like, usually they'll be like, oh, I hate a seating chart, but it's fine. Like, usually I don't have a ton of pushback. The only classes I really don't have a seating chart for is when I do a dual enrollment class because I feel like they're in college. And if they're going to goof off and not pass the class, then that's on them. Um, so I definitely think seating charts are helpful. Um I am a big over planner and I think that can help and hurt. Um, my first year I over planned. And so I was trying to fit too much stuff in each day. Um, so I think that was not good, but now I over plan. And like, if I don't get to something, it's fine, but I always have enough to fill the class. Um, I, I know a lot of teachers will like plan what they think will be enough. And then they have like half an hour left of class by the end. And so the kids just do nothing. And so these teachers get reputations of like, oh, we just do an assignment and then do nothing all class. Or I watched a movie in so-and-so's class today because they didn't have anything for us to do. So I definitely think that over planning so that you can fill up your whole class time so that students still see it as an academic environment and not like a, oh, we just get a goof off or hang out in this class is really, it can be really helpful. Um, and I also think that having students teach each other and help each other out can give them a lot more buy-in as well. Um, I try to see like a couple helpful kids next to some kids that struggle because then they're learning from each other. And oftentimes they will buy into that more than like listening to me. Um, and so that also helps your classroom environment. And the last thing I think is you just got to treat your kids with respect uh, and I know they don't always deserve it. And I don't always deserve their respect if I do something rude or out of line. Um, but like a lot of kids have, they just have hard lives. Like, and, and school is a place that they can go and like be themselves or like take a breath. And so I think sometimes they just need a person and by showing them like that you care or that you'll, you have a place where they can buy really cheap lunch illegal cup of noodles in my classroom or like I'll give them a granola bar when they seem really hungry, whether they are or not, it can just like build a positive relationship. So it's like, yeah, I'll give you this granola bar. Uh, if, and, and in exchange, they're going to give me stuff and effort back in the future. I think it's just, you got to build the relationships and it takes a lot of time to figure it out, but it's just working and trying things. And I think that finding 
a colleague or a friend in the school that you can bounce ideas off of is really helpful. My second year on, I had, I became friends with a teacher in my department who had coached debate for a few years a long time ago, but also taught speech. I could just bounce ideas off of her. Like, do you think this would work? Or I have this student and I can't handle them and they're stressing me out and they're doing these things and they have a lot of insight to like share with you. Um, so I think having somebody at the school that like you feel you you're friends with and you can build a connection and like share experiences with was probably one of the most helpful things that I was able to do that really helped me through all my years after my first year. I think the uh, cup of noodles stash a lot of teachers have and it's a, what is it like maybe a couple dollars at Costco for a big old thing of them and the value it can bring to a high school classroom. Yeah. It is incredible. I sell them them for 50 cents, but I say, if you don't have money or you don't have lunch, just tell me that you just need one and the jars over by there. So you pay for it there and, and it is what it is. And if you don't have money, you just take one and like, it really, it's just something It shows that you care. Okay, Robin, thank you so much for spending time uh, and talking to our community here. I hope it works. Oh, it's going to be great. All right, see you later. Thank you. Okay, bye. If you want to take this class for credit, go to pdlearn.nnu.edu and click CPD online, then select PD in pajamas to enroll in the course.